Welcome to Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Relationships are probably where we spend the most time and the most energy in our lives. They can be the sources of our greatest joy, but they can also cause us the deepest pain and frustration. This podcast is about helping you connect a little bit better every day in your relationships. Welcome to episode seven of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Today, I am so excited to have Carly Reardon join me. Carly is the voice behind Carly the Prepster, a life and style blog. She started her blog as a creative outlet as a freshman at Georgetown University in 2008, and she shares everything from her favorite outfits to the latest books she's read. Carly resides in New Jersey with her husband and her two pups, Teddy and Hamilton. Welcome, Carly. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Me too. So I want to talk about kind of how we know each other because people say to me probably once a month, someone will say, you know, Carly, Carly follows you. How do you know Carly? And, you know, there's... uh, 22 years of age difference between us, but we both started blogs around the same time. I started mine in January of 2007 when we were waiting to adopt Kate and you started yours when you were at Georgetown. But um, so can you talk about how we know each other? Yeah, I don't remember how I found your blog, but this was back when I was in college and I really read blogs as like a lifeline. Um, It was so interesting to me that I could... I mean, it sounds so stupid to say it now because Instagram is so ubiquitous, but be able to go online and read about random people's lives that were happening all over the country and the world. Like I lived for new blog posts and I remember reading your blog about your sons and then adopting Kate and I just was hooked and I, I always really just appreciated like everything that you wrote. And I read a lot of mom blogs as like a category. And I always just liked your approach to parenting and I've always wanted to be a mom. So I, I find that fascinating to read like how different families work and are formed and how they operate and what their values are. And I, yours just always really resonated with me in a powerful way. And I've looked up to you in a way and you know, over the years is like blogging has grown and Instagram has grown. I've just always enjoyed following. Well, that's so funny because I had a similar connection. I'm not sure. I was trying to think back to, to the very first time I remember reading your blog. And I'm not sure if I read it a lot when you were at Georgetown. I vividly remember when you moved to New York. I remember your apartment and all the changes you were making and how tiny it was. And, um, I remember when you first got Teddy, right? Yes. Teddy was first. Yeah. And, you know, your relationships and your friendships and your first job out of college. And um, I felt like we, I always felt a connection with you, like just on this level of some of the things we experience with blogging and with anxiety. I, you know, I know you and I both struggled with that at times. Yeah. And, um, 
Yeah, I felt like, and, and you said this too, like I felt back then, like almost like, really, you could be my daughter. Um, but as time went on and we developed this friendship of texting, you know, different things. I remember, you know, through breakups and yeah. through just every once in a while, not all the time, we would kind of text back and forth and we developed this friendship, even though this is the first time we're actually talking. No, it's funny. I always like to me too, I feel like I would always come to you if I was in like a bad place. Like personally, we always DM and would comment and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, mm -hmm. um, a, I, I just think you're very smart and you come from, from a obviously like clinical background of, of knowing what you're talking about. But like, I saw you as like a mom figure, but you're not my mom. And so sometimes I'd even feel like more comfortable talking to you about things that I, I would not feel comfortable talking to my mom about, mm -hmm. um, at least until I was like done processing things. So I was always mm -hmm. appreciative that I had someone like you that I could go to in that regard. Well, I loved being there. And then the best was, uh, and we just found this text. I sent it to you recently when you did meet Mike and you had just gone on maybe one I date with like him. Date. It was the first week for sure that I met yeah. him. Yeah. And then, you know, sharing all the wonderful things that you've had, which I want to talk about in a second, but I want to tell you too, the ways that you've helped me because I'm really glad that I've been able to kind of be there and help you. And you have helped me because I remember texting you with like technical blog and, and computer issues and, you know, just things that because I'm a little older, I've been afraid to do, you know, um, sometimes I'll get stuck on and I don't even really use it anymore, but you know, some of the affiliate stuff or things, and you've always been right there, right there helping me with stuff. So it's been very reciprocal. And, um, I remember one time it was totally out of the blue when Kate took up baking, you sent her the American girl cookbook series, yes. like just for no reason. And, I can picture exactly where she was sitting in our house when she opened those and the joy that she got. And now she follows. I know. You. I actually we talk see her you. name pop up sometimes. And it, <laughs> it, like, to me, that's one of the funnier things because, like, obviously Kate doesn't know me and I've never met her, but in, like, a really bizarre way, I'm like, I do feel like I know her in a sense. And I was, I, I also feel like in a way I remember like, cause you share stuff about her life and mm -hmm. I remember being that age so vividly. And I, I mm. feel like there's a lot of, like, I see a lot of myself in Kate. And so sometimes I was just, I just wanted to like hug her through the screen when she, you know, so I, well, that's the same. Cause she loves needlepointing and she loves sewing. I love um, her like baking and her crafting. Yeah. It just, it makes me so happy to see her. And she's like, I think way cooler than I was at the time, you know, in that age, I think she, it seems like she embraces herself so much more than I did or I, where I tried to conform and fit in. I feel like she just does what she wants to do. And I love seeing it. She, she does. She does not care what people think. She's like, this is who I am. And if I'm a little nerdy or like, you know, what people used to call her as grandma. I think that's like the <laughs> like ultimate compliment. <laughs> But she doesn't care. She truly does not care. Um, and I think that's what she likes to see someone in your age 
because what she sees of you now is embracing it and and confident and owning who you are and she really likes that and so it's good that you provide that role model for girls because you have followers of all ages but let's talk about your wedding that's what i really want to talk about so um you got engaged during the pandemic during quarantine times and I think all your readers thought you were planning a wedding for the future. And then out of nowhere to some people, <laughs> you got married. So can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah, so we, you know, I mean, Mike and I are both in our 30s and we had had, we haven't been together for that long. I think in my head, it feels like we've been together forever, which is a good feeling. And there was... I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't anxious to get married like right away, but um, you know, I think a lot of people were like, well, when are you getting married? Like, when are you getting engaged? And we're adults who are, you know, very fully formed and had bought a house together. So it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when, and then the pandemic came and we had preliminarily talked about some plans um, about potentially getting married this December but when the pandemic happened and you know the world shut down all of our plans went out the window and i kind of in my head put getting engaged even on the back burner and so i just like didn't really think it was going to happen but i sort of felt like it might happen in the summer and i was always like i want to know when it's going to happen and it was important <laughs> to mike that it was a surprise it was less so to me Um, but having now been surprised, I'm very glad I was, it was, I mean, I've just never had a moment like that in my life where I was so taken aback and so caught off guard because I'm such a planner and I like to be in control. Mm -hmm. So it, like, I've just never experienced that level of surprise and it was so amazing and so perfect. I don't really remember a lot of the actual moment it was happening. I think I totally blacked out if I'm being honest, but. Cause you were in shock. I was in complete shock. Like people were, I think even my friends were like, how did you, did you really not know? And I, I mean, I can't, I had no clue. And I, you know, sooner would have thought like the sky would start falling before Mike proposed. Like it was so out of the blue, it was so exciting. Um, And then we kind of had to sit down And after, you know, having two weeks or so of the excitement of just being engaged and enjoying it, we sat down and tried to figure out like, okay, what do we want to actually do for the wedding? And we basically had two options. One, get married with a really tiny wedding now or wait for two years. But like we want to, you know, start a family and who knows what the next two years are going to look like. And if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's like life is so short So we kind of made, it was a hard decision in a way because we weren't going to be able to have friends there, but we decided we didn't want to wait and we'd be able to celebrate with everyone, hopefully down the line, but we wanted to be married and like start our life. So we did. It was so beautiful. I have chills as you're talking. I mean, it was so perfect and I was lucky enough to know it was coming and you and I texted back and forth, like just different little things, but to see it, like I cried, I, I had tears in my eyes when I saw the pictures because you could actually feel there's one picture of you all at the table with 
that mm-hmm. light, that candlelight, that glow. And it reminded me, I think maybe even I texted you. Do you remember in Parenthood, the long yes. table of the Like, that's the vibe I got. Like, these are people who really love each other and really matter that are there on that day. So, you know, I have been kind of, um, I've never been like a wedding person. I've never wanted one. Mm -hmm. The idea of them kind of weirds me out in a way. And I've been to so many weddings that just are so cookie cutter. Like, everyone follows the same script. And it's beautiful and it's lovely. And, like, these people are starting their lives together. But sometimes it felt impersonal because they were all so much alike. Like how many weddings Mm -hmm. have you been to like in a hotel ballroom? And they all kind of feel the same. Um, especially Mm -hmm. for me, because I've often been for some reason, like a lot of my friends are either not married or I met them and they've, they were already married. So I haven't been to a ton of Mm. my personal friends weddings, but I've been as guests like plus ones. So I don't even know these people Mm -hmm. sometimes. And I'm like, I shouldn't be here. (laughs) Like I'm witnessing, like, why am I invited to this wedding? And so I don't know. And I also feel like with Pinterest, there's this huge per- like pressure to have these picture perfect weddings. And I've been to weddings that look amazing in photos, but they're like kind of awkward in person. And mm-hmm. I, this is going to sound cheesy and like, maybe I'm kind of bragging, but I feel like the wedding was exact. It felt the day of exactly how it looked in the photos and the video. And I even like to- asked my mom because Carter, my photographer, had she knocked it out of the park and she was only planning on doing photos and kind of at the last minute captured all these video clips. I didn't even realize she was doing it during the day, to be honest. And when she sent me the video, because we had already gotten all the photos and I loved every photo, like it just felt like I was reliving the moment. When she sent me the video, I thought, this is exactly how it felt during the day. But I didn't know if I had just been, you know, on like a wedding high and I had built it up in my head Mm -hmm. and I sent it to my mom and I was like, mom, like, don't you feel like this is exactly how the wedding was? And like when the sun set and the lights were all golden and it was the 70 degrees, zero humidity day, it was perfect. And I feel like it looked perfect in photos, but that's actually how it felt. Oh, that's perfect. I mean, it's, and it did, I could see that too. You know, you, I think you really can see that. And I think that's the most important thing. You know, I work with a lot of engaged couples and newlyweds and, you know, so much stress and planning goes into these big, big weddings, but really a, the marriage is the most important thing. And just that the people that you love and care about, like you forget those details down the road, um, except the ones that were really important. And that's when I think you do, I'm seeing so many of these smaller, more intimate weddings right now during the pandemic. I kind of hope that trend stays because as a marriage counselor, that's, that's the way to do it. You're focusing on the stuff. Yeah. That matters. I wish we could have had, I genuinely, there are, you know, speaking of friends, yeah. there are friends I wish could have been there, but like my grandma is 93 and there is a mm-hmm. pandemic and we have multiple people in the family who are like at higher risk for various reasons. So we really couldn't have people outside of our family there, which was a really difficult decision to make. Um, so I can't wait to celebrate with, you know, them down the road in a different yeah, way. with friends. 
Yeah. But, and, and you have, you'll have life's milestones to celebrate with them. And while this is a huge, huge one, you'll have more to, to celebrate with them. Well, speaking of friends, that was the perfect segue because I don't even know if I introduced the topic, but when I reached out to you and asked you if you would talk uh, with me for the podcast, I had a couple ideas and you said, you know, I think I really want to talk about friendship, which I was so excited because I think um, I hear from so many people how difficult friendship is right now. And when I say right now, like partly I mean COVID, but partly I mean even pre-COVID, I'll say like the last, I don't know, three to four years, I'm hearing a lot more about friendship in my office. And so I want you to talk about some of the challenges you've had in your 20s and now in your early 30s, making friends as an adult. Yeah, I mean, so I wanted to talk about it because I'm lucky in that I end up, I get to talk to people from all different walks of life who follow me on Instagram all the time. And I get to have Mm -hmm. conversations with, you know, a large group of women and a question that comes up over and over again, the number one question is how to get over a breakup, which I think is, you know, it's a very um, universal topic. But the next question after that is how do you make friends as an adult? And it, I think it's something that affects everyone. And for some reason, even though we're more connected than ever with the internet and being able to stay in touch with friends and we can FaceTime, it's hard. It's, it's hard to have genuine connections with people. Um, and mm-hmm. I think right now, a lot of people are going through these life changes of leaving cities and moving back home or they're breaking up with people or they're starting families and their friends aren't starting families yet. I like as a 31 year old now, I'm in this, I feel like it's this bizarre time in my life where making friends is so weird and hard and people are in different walks of life and different places around the country. And it's just, it's a challenge that I think a lot of us face and then mm-hmm. add in like, you know, political unrest and being, how do you have tough conversations with friends? And do you stay friends with someone who has differing views and how do you, reconcile with that. Like it, there's a lot going on. I agree. It is really, really hard. What are your tips then with these challenges for young adults as they do move to a new city or move back to their hometowns about making friends after So, college? you know, personally, I have lived in so many different places and I would say I'm very far from like a friendship expert. And I think the biggest thing to remember, cause I, I mean, for some reason I get judged on the internet by people who assume I have no friends, which I think is kind of funny because I, in my personal life, it's so obvious to me that I do have friends and have incredible, like very long friendships that are deep with people, but I just don't share that part Mm -hmm. of on the internet. Um, Which is, it's not that I wouldn't share it if I were just a regular person, I would obviously post stuff on Instagram, but because I have so many eyes watching it, a lot of times I'm like, I don't want to, I actually just don't want to share this with people. Like it's so special to me. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the reason why I keep my relationship with Mike for the most part off the internet. Like I don't want that to become like up for public consumption or up for public Mm -hmm. debate because it's not. Um, So a lot of my friendships happen behind the scenes and 
So sometimes I'm like, well, how can you say I don't have friends? And then I'm like, well, I guess if you don't see it, you might assume it's not there. Um, but as I was saying, I have lived in many places. Like I was born in Georgia and then my family moved to Massachusetts where I met my very, very best friend. And when we were four years old and then we moved to Florida where we lived for 10 years. And then I went to school in DC. Then I lived in New York for a few years. Then I lived in Connecticut and now I live in New Jersey. And I, and then plus I'm on the internet as my career. So a lot of my, you know, who I consider my Mm -hmm. quote unquote coworkers live elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And so I'm lucky in that I've been able to have like a lot more opportunities to meet people, but that can become a challenge for keeping friendships or developing like deep friendships. And I actually feel like I personally Mm -hmm. have a problem where sometimes I have not that I cut them out of my life, but where I have to kind of put some friendships on the back burner because I, I'm like of the mindset I'd rather have fewer deeper friendships than have like a whole gaggle of friends. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm the same way. Um, I, I told somebody recently, I have like five good friends and like a million That's acquaintances. how I feel too. Um, and I really like yeah. my own company. I'm definitely a homebody. I'm a hundred percent an introvert. I do better. I know this about myself now where I just, I do better with one-on-one friendships where I'm like doing things in very small groups, like no more than three people. Uh, I just, Mm -hmm. if there's more than that, I can actually just shut down from like anxiety or like overstimulation. And so I end up not participating. Um, And so in some ways, my friendships with friends look different than what you see on Gossip Girl or like TV shows with like, Mm -hmm. you know, female friendships as the focus, because I'm not the kind of person Mm -hmm. who's like going out to dinner and partying every night. And like, you know, on Friday nights, we're like all getting together for drinks after work, because that's not what I do in my personal life. (laughs) So I'm not going to do that with my Mm -hmm. friends. I actually have found that I end up making friends over like common interests and I have different friends for like different niches within my life. Like I talk to my different mm-hmm. people in different ways about different things. Um, and that's, that works for me. Like I have my crafting friends who do all this stuff and I have my blogging friends and we talk about di- different things and I'm just I'm never going to be the person to like go out to dinner three nights a week with girlfriends because I, that would be just too much socializing for me in general. So you really know who you are and kind of what kind of a friendship works for you. And I know, I remember when you moved from Connecticut to New Jersey, and then even when you moved into this house, like when you've moved somewhere and you've wanted to make new friends locally, what kinds of things did you do? So I feel like it is kind of cheating because of my Instagram account. I end up having a lot of people reach out to me wanting to be friends with me, um, Mm -hmm. which I always find flattering, but I try to limit those types of interactions because it could just end badly. And I've met with people before when I've moved to new towns and I'm, I think that person feels like they're meeting someone that they're already friends with. And it's, there's a, a a disconnect of. Like an imbalance almost. They know way more about you. Yes. And so sometimes I think they jump into 
that like as if we're already friends and I'm going into them thinking, well, I actually know nothing about you. And it it creates this very awkward dynamic. And I do not do well in awkward situations. I I can make things even more awkward (laughs) just by existing. And so (laughs) I try to limit that. But sometimes I can go onto someone's Instagram and I'm like, which this sounds so stupid, but it's kind of like online dating in a way, like scroll through and get a vibe where I'm like, oh, I actually genuinely think this is like someone I would want to hang out with. And it's not based on like what they look like or what clothes they're wearing. It's more like, what are they doing with their life? Like what kind of things excite them? And I, I can just sort of get a vibe. For example, one of my very closest friends here in New Jersey now I had stalked her on Instagram like a year before we moved into our house. And I rem- I saved her Instagram because I was like, oh, if I ever move into like the Morris County area, like this is someone I would want to be friends with. And literally when I moved here, she mm-hmm. DM'd me and was like, this is so awkward. But like I live in the next town over. Would you want to get coffee? And um, we went on like a friend date at a local coffee shop and we literally sat and talked for like five hours and it was it was kind of like dating where you just have an initial like immediate chemistry obviously not like in Mm -hmm. a physical sense but we just really vibed and we've been really good friends ever since um and I think part of that as an adult is like growing up as a kid you are put into situations where friendships kind of form organically, like you're in a classroom with this person, or you sit next to them at lunch, just coincidentally, or you joined the soccer team. And so you have these people at your disposal. And it kind of creates this environment where friendships just form so naturally. And then as an adult, that you don't have those constraints anymore. And Mm -hmm. it can be hard. And part of that is you kind of, I at least take the mindset of like, well, let me create these um, environments for myself. So I'll join a gym and try to take the same class every single week. Obviously you can't do that right right now, but like you, I try to put myself into situations where I'm, I think it would be like giving someone dating advice. Like if I don't want to go and hang out at a bar, I don't want to go and try to meet guys at a bar. That wouldn't be my uh, method, my approach, I should say. So with friends, I'm like, uh, yeah, let, let me try to find people who have common interests and just put yourself out there, which that's the hardest thing is even making that ask. Um, It's so hard. It's It's so risky and it's like, it is to me, one of the ultimate signs of vulnerability. For some reason, I think with dating, people expect it. You know, you're going to be vulnerable when you're going on that first date, but because we have so many friendships and you, you know, you're, you're dating one person, but with friends, you have all these different relationships, but to start a new friendship, there's a huge sense of vulnerability and you're showing a side of yourself and opening yourself up and you can get hurt in friendships. Like that's a a possibility and things can be awkward and you might not click right away. Mm -hmm. And then it might click for one person Mm -hmm. and not for another. And those are tough. Those are hard things to to grapple with. No, they really are. I think you're right. I think it's putting yourself in the environment of things you like. Like I remember seeing um, also when you moved 
you, you went to like yeah. a needlepoint group and I know you exercised and you went and got, you, you got, even got your little library, which like, that's a way to reach out to people. Um, we have them here. I'm, I always send you pictures of kind of the fun ones I see, but I know I've seen people like come out and talk to yeah. people whether in your neighborhood. Like I think, but taking all those risks and putting yourself out there every time in friendship, you're also, you could also be rejected. And I think that's really the thing that a lot of people just don't make the effort when they say they're having trouble making friends in a new city. Some of it is that fear of putting themselves yeah. out there and being vulnerable because and they I might get rejected. something that plays into that is sometimes I don't think people know exactly who they are or what they're legitimately interested in as an adult, especially I feel like in the culture mm -hmm. we have right now, which is so work focused, I think sometimes it's hard to find interests that aren't work related. And it's, I, I have not always been good at it, but I will tell you, I think my life is so much better because I have actual hobbies. So Carly, one of the hobbies, you're talking about hobbies and how really knowing yourself, who you are, and if you develop your hobbies, that kind of helps you make friends as well. And one of the hobbies I know you've really gotten into is sewing. And I've seen these little dresses that you're making. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I have been having so much fun sewing. Um, it was actually a goal of mine to relearn how to sew for the year. And my mom always grew up sewing and she sewed her own clothes in the seventies after like home ec classes and all that. But, and I had gone to like sewing camp and when I was younger, uh, but never really did it again. And I bought a machine. I was like, I'm going to do it. And then I just was so intimidated by the machine. It just sat in my basement collecting dust. And then when the pandemic hit and people needed masks in hospitals, I thought, well, there's no greater time to learn than now, like when there's an actual need. And so it gave me kind of a purpose and helped me off the ledge a little bit of that fear. Um, and then it took me a very long time to relearn. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't like a smooth process, but I was so determined to get these masks done for our local hospital. And I'm really grateful that I had this project to do because like, I just felt like giving up wasn't an option. And by the end of it, I was just obsessed. And I had some help along the way from a blog reader who was following me on Instagram and no joke, like I was sending her photos via DM and she was like responding back, like helping me figure out and problem solve. Then I was FaceTiming my other friend who loves to sew. So I really couldn't have done it without their help and support. And now the two of us or the three of us, I guess, look back on that period of time when I was crying because I couldn't figure out how to do really anything. And now I'm like sewing dresses and just having so much fun with it. Um, and yeah. And really, it is a way of connection, which is what this whole podcast is about. Because as you talk, I'm sitting there listening. You reached out to new friends yeah. to learn sewing. You reached out to your community by making the masks for other people. And now you're making these beautiful dresses for your nieces and for some of your friends' children. And so all of these, you used your hobby as a way to really connect and build relationships with people you didn't have relationships be yeah. with before and 
people you did, but now you have this new thing to kind of connect over. Well, you know, at the beginning of the year, I actually, this was before the pandemic. So like before things had even shut down, I wrote it in a cafe. So I know, you know, we were still living a normal life at that point. And I wrote this blog post about hobbies. And it's funny, I feel like I was kind of looking into the future a little bit without knowing it, because I just think people especially my age, like don't, it's so hard to meet friends as an adult, but there's something about hobbies that even if you have absolutely nothing else in common, if you're connecting originally for a hobby, whether it's sewing or knitting or needle pointing, sewing and needle pointing have been like two of the hobbies that I've met a lot of people from. It doesn't matter if you have nothing else in common, you have something to talk about, but the reality is that might be the jumping off point, but then you end up talking and you, there's a good chance you have way more things in common. And personally, I get nervous talking to people. So I like having a kind of a foundation of things we can talk about off the get-go and then let a conversation naturally follow. Mm -hmm. Um, I I mean, I definitely suffer from a little bit of social anxiety and having like clubs and just common ground to to really jump off is is a way that I can alleviate some of my anxiety because I'm like okay if I'm going to meet this person and we have nothing else to talk about I could talk about needlepoint for at least an hour over coffee or you know or at least dm this person about a project I'm working on for sewing and so that always helps alleviate some of the stress and anxiety over making friends I think that's true. I think if you can find a common ground, I remember when my boys were starting high school and then starting college and they came from public school to an all boys Catholic school. So most of the kids would all, they all knew each other. They were coming from local Catholic schools and my boys were kind of coming in, not really knowing anyone. And I remember particularly talking to Harry who also maybe has a touch of social anxiety, you know, just reaching out to people. And I said, every other kid is walking around feeling the same way. Even the captain of the football team, even that person that looks like they have that group of 12 people, there is absolutely social anxiety and a lot of people have it. But there are also a lot of people who don't have it that still are afraid to say hello, are afraid to find that jumping off point like you talked about. And so if you have a hobby in common, it's just already there. Yeah. And I've you know, there's something about the internet too, that I think is helpful. And this is actually probably even more relevant now that it's harder to get, you know, to meet up in person with people. Mm -hmm. But I have found the fact that there are like internet groups and Facebook groups and Instagram pages to connect over. It is to me, one of the best gifts of the internet, because like I am meeting people and talking to people that I otherwise never would have connected with. And there's this girl who I've met over Instagram, who's also a needle pointer. And the number of things we have in common is insane. I've never met her. She currently lives in Canada. So there's no, you know, for the foreseeable future, there's really Mm -hmm. no chance of us seeing each other. But I'm like, I actually do feel like a kindred spirit connection with her. And I'm like, I never would have met her had it not been for Instagram and this like common love of needlepoint. And it's, I just think that's so cool. I do think, and I do think, you know, for all the bashing that social media gets and 
And we do know in extremes, it's really not healthy, but you're absolutely right. I, I've made so many friends over the years. When we adopted Kate, there were all these, um, gosh, I'm so aging myself, but Yahoo groups yeah. <laughs> for um, wait, of parents who were waiting to adopt children from China. And that's really all we had in common at that time, you know, starting out. But those people, here we are 14 years later, and those people, I'm still friends with them on Facebook and send Christmas cards. And some of them became really dear, true life friends. So yeah, I think when you have that one commonality, you can connect with it. Um, it really is wonderful. So I want to switch gears here for a second and ask you, if I asked your sister, Stacy or Elsa, or your best friend from childhood, Nicole, what kind of a friend you are? How would they describe you as a friend? I, you know, it's funny. I feel like I have had periods of time where I've been better friend, a better friend to my friends than others. <sighs> Nicole would probably talk about when we, when I moved away and she wrote me letters every single day. And I was so missing her so much that I never wrote her back. I still have every letter that she sent me in a photo album, like in the slots, Aww. but I, I missed her so much. She was devastated that I never wrote her back, but like, even the thought of putting a pen to paper was like too devastating for me. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I don't sit here and claim to be some perfect friend. Um, and I've definitely let down friends in the past, but as I've gotten older, I have realized I want to be like the friend that I wish I had. And mm -hmm. so I just try to show up in ways that I really just try to show up. And it sounds so simple. I'm like, I want to be supportive. If that's like a text message after I know a friend has gone through a health crisis, just to say, oh, I'm thinking about you. I sometimes worry that I'm going to say the wrong thing or I don't have an answer. But I, you know, I don't think that's what people are looking for at the end of the day. I think they're just looking to be heard and to be seen and to feel supported. So I try to do that um, any way that I can, really. That's absolutely true, Carly. I can tell you that um, I see that with my patients and I see that with my friends. And I think you're right that sometimes we think like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, yeah. you know. Um, I've had, you know, people that, you know, have a diagnosis of cancer or come out as gay and my client will say, I don't know what to say. I don't know. And they're so afraid of what to say that they say nothing. Yes. They, and that's the worst. So I do, I think you're right. I think friendship is all about showing up. And today people are so busy that sometimes they don't prioritize showing up for their friends. Yes. Um, and so the fact that you do that is really, really important. One of the things I also hear in my practice a lot is um, I have a lot of parents of teen girls. And I know you and I have talked at other times and I've read that, you know, the teen years, you struggled a little bit with who you were. And um, I know it seems like that's a time especially that women or young girls get hurt in friendship. Yeah. And I was wondering, like, with your wisdom now, you're 31, if you could go back and tell teen Carly some piece of wisdom or advice, what would you do differently or what would you tell her? The biggest thing I would tell myself, and I would say this to anyone who's a teenager, frankly, is people will love you for who you are. And... But if you are not being yourself, they will see right through that. 
Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I look back and I'm like, why did I, at the time, I didn't really understand why I struggled to fit in. And I think a big reason that I struggled to fit in was that I was trying to fit in and I was trying to be someone that I wasn't. And I, and you know, teenagers are smart and they have emotional intelligence and they probably looked at me like, who is this? Like she's so inauthentic and she's not being herself and she's just trying to copy everyone else. And, and that of course is going to lead to people not wanting to be my friend because who wants to be friends with someone who's just completely faking it. And I saw that as a, as well, gosh, I'm really trying to be this person because that's who I think these people want to be friends with instead of realizing no, like they would love me for who I was and they would accept accept me for that. And I failed. <laughs> and I look back at some of the kids that I went to high school with and they were so weird on paper. They were just strange, kooky kids, but they were so popular because they were just fully themselves <coughs> and just unabashedly themselves and didn't care what anyone else thought and because they didn't care what anyone else thought, everyone just loved them and fully accepted them for who they were. And I look back and I'm like, I wish I had been fully myself. And you know, now that I have, part of it was I didn't know who I was and I didn't know what I liked because I'd spent so much time, time trying to like other things and be other people and to fit in so desperately. And, you know, in my mid late twenties is when I kind of started to hone in on, wait, who am I? And yeah, I'm never going to be the girl who's like at a bar at two o'clock in the morning. Never. It's just not who I am. And that's okay. And I have friends Mm -hmm. who are like, yeah, you're not the person I'd go to a bar with. And you're not the person that I would do like a cross country trip with just a backpack with, or fly (laughs) to a country and stay in hostels. It's not who I am. And if I tried to be, I would just be miserable. And as soon as I just started to accept the things, honestly, more of who I'm not than who I am, it opened up so many more meaningful friendships. And I look back and I'm like, God, if in high school, I had just been more true to who I was and did the things that I wanted to do and had the hobbies that I was interested in and didn't worry about what other people thought, I think I would have met more friends who were into those same things and would have had more meaningful friendships because of that. You probably would have, but you know what else? I'm putting on my psychologist (laughs) hat here. That process is what taught you who you are, Carly. That's probably very true too. (laughs) You know, you're right. You're right. But we don't, we only learn through sort of pain and stretching ourselves. And I mean, that's how you learned what you don't like and who you are is kind of by trying those things out. And maybe at the time it felt like you were trying to fit in and you weren't being authentic. But I think most people kind of go through that. I think that's, that's a more typical development. I mean, I do know teens. Sometimes I look at these teen girls and they're so much more put together and confident and know who they are than I did as a teen or than you did as a teen. Um, But I still think underneath they're figuring out who they are. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I just had a conversation with a girl that I babysat when I was in middle school. Her mom was one of my teachers and her mom had her when I was in sixth grade. So like seventh and eighth grade, I would babysit this infant 
And now she's in college her freshman year, which just makes me feel so old. And her mom had reached out to me and was just like, she's struggling. And I know you struggled your freshman year, like to meet friends. And she just is having a really hard time. She had gone to an out of state school and my heart just broke for her mostly because I, it, it f- feels still so raw to me, that feeling of like, I'm not finding my people and I'm surrounded by all these strangers. Then you add in the fact that there's like a pandemic going on. And I said, you know, what's so funny is that, you know, she, part of her thing was that she had gone to this out of state school and she's watching all of her high school friends who she had incredible friendships with. They had all gone to the same school and they're all in the same sorority and they're doing all these fun things on the weekend and posting about it on Instagram and Facebook. And she feels so left out and she doesn't feel like she has those connections. And I said, you know, what's funny is I looked a week ago at your Facebook page because we're Facebook friends. And I thought to myself, she is thriving. Like, I love to see how happy she is. And she has all these friends and she joined this sorority and they quarantined together during this hurricane. And I, like I, as an outsider, looked at your Facebook page and thought, oh, she is having the time of her life. I'm so happy for her. And a week later, I'm on the phone with her and she's so upset because she's not finding her people. And I said, even though it looks like everyone is finding their people and they're having all this fun, they might not actually feel that way. And I was like, your friend from high school might look at you and your Facebook page and say, I should have gone to an out-of-state school. She's meeting all these new people. I'm hanging out with people I've known since I was four years old. We went to the same pre-K together. I said, the grass is always greener, but social media is such a facade and it can just totally... It, it's so easy to compare what you're seeing to how you feel, but the reality of what you're seeing is not necessarily how someone feels. I was like, you tricked me. Think of how many people are tricking you. And I thought it was kind of, I mean, I, I, I was coming at it from a lot more wisdom because at 19, I didn't have that uh, perception or reality. And frankly, even at 31, I still look on Instagram and get jealous of my friends who are doing amazing things. And then when we have real conversations, I realize, wait a minute, that person feels just as stressed. That person feels just as unsuccessful or lonely or whatever the, you know, anxious, whatever the adjective may be. But it's that's especially nowadays for teenagers in high school and college, social media is so much more present and a huge part of the social life. And it's just so important to remember you're not really seeing the truth. (laughs) Yeah, you're not seeing the whole picture. And and I think it on some level they know it, but they still get tricked by it every time they log in and Yeah, and again, you know? I I know this. And I can even say it to myself as I'm scrolling through Instagram and I still fall victim to it. And it's it's actually changed a little bit of how I use Instagram because I there are days and weeks where I'm like I feel so ugly. I feel so overwhelmed and I just feel like I don't have my life in control. But if people were to scroll through my Instagram, I'm sure there are people out there looking at being like, oh, she has this perfect life and her dogs are perfect. And she had this perfect wedding and all this stuff. And I'm like, but that's, it's yes, on the surface, that's how it looks, but it doesn't mean that that's the whole reality. And doesn't mean that I don't have my own insecurities or whatever. And even though I know that I still fall victim. And so I try to 
share more authentic things on my story and post photos and stories without makeup because I don't want people to think I'm some fake one-dimensional person. Yeah. Yeah. I think you do a really good job of that, to be honest. Like, I I see you. I remember one post you talked about in the beginning of the pandemic, crying in the shower. Yeah. And <laughs> I remember, you know, you've talked about your skin and which, by the way, looks amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. Um <laughs> And no, I, you've, I think, I think you're very vulnerable and, you know, I, I guess nobody's 100% transparent on social media. Nobody's 100% transparent in real life. We all kind of naturally sort of hide the uglier parts, but I do feel like you do a, a, a good job about showing some balance and, and it's also your job to have beautiful pictures yeah. and gorgeous outfits and a decorated home. And, you know, so, so that's, that's important to remember too. But, you know, it's funny, I didn't really feel like the psychological effects that you're really talking about of Instagram or I don't really go on Facebook much. My Instagram posts there, but, um, you know, I used to be pretty involved in the blog world and I never really felt much of that comparison. I don't really know why, but I will tell you, starting this podcast and starting my um, professional Instagram page, for the first time, I kind of started to feel that. And I think it's really, honestly, the amount of time yeah. to, to post every day, which I'm trying to do, to engage really actively with new followers and old followers, but all, you know, and when people comment, I'm just, I noticed the hours really creeping yeah. up. And I did notice, I wouldn't say feeling depressed because I don't feel depressed, but I did notice feeling like blah, yeah. just really blah. And I had to step back and I, I just went in last night. In fact, this is very timely. And I changed the timer reminder oh, on Instagram. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, and I have to just not ignore it. But what I was starting to feel, and I cannot imagine the level you feel this on because it's exponentially greater and it is your career and your income but I started to feel like oh gosh I'm not going to be able to come up with good content like I got all these followers yesterday and am I going to be able to show them something good and you know what Carly I never felt that I never felt that in life like with my personal Instagram or my personal blog I never felt like I had to show something to keep people yeah. content essentially becomes your product in a lot of ways and that's i it, you know it's funny i don't think you have to be like a quote unquote professional influencer to feel that way because i mean teenagers have finstas because they don't want to put like less perfect photos on like their real feed and they delete things and they go back and modify because it, it for essentially becomes a reflection of you. And I, there is a sense of curation to that. And mm -hmm. when, especially though, then when you add in the fact that it is your job, it just takes it up. I mean, I have anxiety about what am I going to post on Instagram every day? And part of that is it's essentially like I have KPIs that I have to meet for my brand partners and for, you know, my agency that I'm signed to and my own income is tied to that of how people react mm -hmm. to my content. And 
it's frankly, it's not very healthy because most of the time it's photos of myself. <laughs> and mm -hmm. there's, it's really just impossible to separate out um, appearance from that, frankly. And mm -hmm. so I, I have made conscious decisions though, because it's kind of like being the friend that you want to be for other people. I want to put out the content I wish I saw more of. And I refuse to get a spray tan because I just feel like every single white influencer gets spray tanned or adds a filter to their photos to make themselves look tanner. And I'm like, I just want to see more people who are pale like me because I don't really <laughs> like my pale skin. I feel most of the time it's just, I'd be like, yeah, I think I'd be more attractive if I were a little bit tanner. And I'm like, but that, that's not healthy and that's not normal. And, you know, I try to just be like, well, what kind of content do I wish I saw more of? I wish I saw people doing less filters on stories. So I just don't use filters. I wish I saw people who are embracing their natural skin color. So I embrace mine, even if that means my skin glows in the dark off the, you know, off the screen. I wish I saw people who are just like, this is my natural hair color and I don't have extensions and yada, yada. And, and I'm not perfect. I straighten my hair. This is not like my natural hair texture. You know, I got Invisalign to correct my teeth. And so it's just, it's, it, it's hard. And I don't know like what the perfect balance is, but like every day I, that's my goal is to just put out content that I wish I saw more of myself. <laughs> no, I think that's good. And you know what, as you were talking and as I was kind of talking this out, which I don't think we really planned. No, I know we didn't plan to talk about Instagram <laughs> or social media. The conversation just went that way. But I do think, I think I, I realized kind of what the key is, at least for me. And I think as you were talking for you, when I had Instagram or my blog, I was just sharing, I truly was sharing my authentic self and my authentic family. I was sharing pictures of our birthdays yeah. or Kate's gymnastics or, you know, the boys water polo or whatever it was. And then when you start thinking about your content in terms of the receiver, the audience, which teenagers are doing most people are doing. I truly, honestly, didn't do that before. I know that probably sounds unrealistic, but it's true. I just posted <laughs> for yeah. me and for my friends and what I thought was cute or I wanted to remember. It was like my family scrapbook, basically. And people so responded to that. But now, and this is what you have to do, we have to think about our audience yeah. and how it's going to be received. And are they going to like it? And is it going to be controversial? And yes. is it going to fit in kind of like we we're talking about in friendship is it going to fit in and that's where I think the anxiety comes in is where we're trying to instead of just really doing it and 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 sometimes for a job you can't just do it for you I mean I'm sure there's sometimes where you just have to do it because it's your job not because it's what you're passionate yeah, and you know about. it's funny to tie this into friendship because you just said something I fall victim sometimes and I I you know, I've been doing this 12 years in December. So it's been a long time since I started blogging. And when you were saying, like, I found your blog because I loved just like reading about someone else's life and it was so authentic and it was so normal. And that's how a lot of the big, big, big bloggers got off the ground was that they were just sharing their normal life. And it wasn't fashion blogging. Um, it was like documentation of just their lives. That's how my blog started. You know, and then it becomes a business that adds in other things. But 
it is a good reminder to be like, no, people actually, and this is the same thing about being in high school and feeling like, wait, everyone's doing it like this. And so that's how I have to do it to feel like I fit in and whatever. When in reality, no one wants a carbon copy of what's already out there. People are just like, well, who are you and what are you doing in your life? And how does that come across on the screen or the, you know, the blog post or whatever? And I try to remind myself that. And also people who are starting out or like have careers on the internet. It's like, don't be confused by what you see other people doing. I just had this conversation with one of my really good friends who's kind of new into the blogging world. This was about a month ago. And she, she was texting me saying everyone on Instagram, all these Instagrammers are talking about how they're already starting their holiday gift guides and all this stuff. And I kind of had to talk her off the ledge. I was like, everyone's talking about it because one person said one thing and then everyone panicked thinking that's what they needed to do because that's what everyone was doing. And I was like, it's the last click that wins. So pushing up, you know, a gift guide in October doesn't really mean anything because people are shopping in November. Yeah. So don't be, it goes for friendships. It goes for Instagram. It's like, don't be confused by what you see everyone else doing because it might not be the best strategy or like the most authentic thing you can be doing. It's like, follow your gut, be yourself, share the stuff you want to share. Like, that's what I do on my Instagram. Do I have a million followers? No. Do I think most people who have influencers who have a million followers bought them at some point? Yes. Like, I'm happy with the followers that I have because they're here for me and I'm not going to change myself to like, you know, fake grow my audience. And I'm, I'm sure I would have more followers if I got extensions and lip fillers and created this like, you know, hired professional photographers to like follow me around and document my life. But I'm like, that's not the life I want to live. And so if my Instagram is filled with iPhone photos and the background doesn't have perfect bokeh. That's fine. And I actually think that's why people like following me and are so engaged with my content. They're like, oh, she's just sharing stuff she actually likes. And you're relatable. And you know what? You're so right. And and really the bottom line, Carly, is you'll be happier. Yeah. You would not be happy just like you learned in your teenage years. And maybe that is why you yeah. went through that. You learned that if I try to be pretend to be something I'm not in the end, I'm going to be miserable and maybe even yeah. lonely. And if I, if I am who I am, I will attract the right people and friendships that, and relationships that are deep. And yes. Meaningful. I look at the friendships that I've made in the past, I would say like three years, they are so much more meaningful. Now my friend, Nicole is an exception because I just feel like we're more sisters than, than friends. And are very unique and you know becoming friends at four years old and and kind of finding your like friend soulmate at such a young age but I look back at some of my friendships from high school and college and they weren't even though we had spent so much time together and from like a a snapshot of time we've had longer friendships the friends that I've made now that I have like fully embraced who I am and who I'm not they're so much more meaningful to me, even though they don't have this, like, I feel like there's a sense of shame for women, especially with friendships that you have to have these super long friendships. And if you haven't been friends with someone or, you know, friends for decades that, that you're not real friends, or there's something wrong with you because you can't make friends. And I just think that's bullshit. And just mm -hmm. another way, frankly, that women 
hurt other women and we just can't let ourselves succeed because we're just in our own ways. I'm like, the friendships I've made in the past three years are so deep and so much more meaningful because we've been able to have like just more authenticity from the very beginning. And I know who I am. And so I'm bringing that person to the table. And, you know, sometimes I go on these like essentially friend dates for lack of a better word. And like, we don't click and it's okay. I'm not sitting there like forcing it. Like I might with a freshman roommate, for example, like, well, we have to be friends. We're freshman roommates. I'm like, it's fine if we're not friends and I'm able to kind of move on a little bit quicker, like dating. But then when I do connect with someone and I'm able to share myself fully of who I am and who I'm not. And I am so grateful for those friendships. And, you know, some of the people I don't live in the same States with anymore. And it it's work to maintain friendships like that, but it's so valuable to me because I value their friendship so much. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think I, I hear what you're saying about kind of the stereotype of having these lifelong yeah. friends and even these like girl gangs, like I've never had, you know, and part of it, I think when you move around, you don't have this, like I grew up in Pennsylvania, but I've lived in Texas. And so I don't have that group of six girls that we vacation together all the time. And we've known each other our whole life. I mean, I have friends I've known my whole life, but they're not in my everyday life. And so, yeah, I think sometimes we can like feel bad that we don't have what we see on Facebook or other people, but it's really, you know, I, I think you and I are in the same, and, and we talked about this one other time is like, I have maybe five really good friends and like a million acquaintances, not a million, but lots and lots of acquaintances, because I treasure like you, those really deep, authentic friendships. And I had, I had a, even though I talk about not really fitting in, I, I did have a core group of friends in high school and we had such a great time together and it was, I'm grateful for those friendships. It was really fun. And we did nerdy things. Like we were in chorus together and yearbook together. When we went to college, like our lives really grew apart and there was a sense of loss with that. But, you know, now that there's been a decade plus since we graduated high school, yeah, a long time since we graduated high school, we don't like our life just, we don't have a lot in common anymore. And even though we have these amazing friendships, like it's okay to grow apart. And especially in your twenties, when even just getting married at 23 versus getting married at 31, you have a completely different life experience and it's okay if you don't have a ton in common anymore. And I think it, it needs to be embraced more that it's okay to grow apart. Mm Hmm. No, I agree. Um, I'm switching gears here a little bit as we start to kind of wrap up. But I, we were talking a few minutes ago about, you know, um, the teacher who had yeah. the baby who's in college. And it reminded me of a story I had read about on a college board a week or two ago. And, you know, I think studies are showing right now that people are lonelier than ever, even though you and I are talking about all these ways to reach out and all these ways to connect, sometimes social media, um, and for sure, the uh-huh. isolation during the, this pandemic has made people feel lonely. And this mom posted about her son, um, he had been at college since August, but he was still eating alone in his room every single meal. And he had not what it was his birthday and he had not one person 
to share his birthday with, which made me so sad. And what was remarkable to me about the story is you could sort of picture this young man who's maybe shy, maybe has social anxiety, really struggling to be at college and making friends. But what shocked me was hundreds of mothers said, my daughter too, my son too, at the same college, because it was a private Facebook group for that college. And they were all saying, yeah, my child eats alone too. My child hasn't made a friend yet. And I'd like to think this was because of the pin. Well, I wouldn't like to think that, but I was trying to make sense of it that way. But it actually isn't because I've been on this Facebook page for five years. It's not the first time I've heard that. Um, It was where Will went to school. So I've been on it a long time. I really am supposed to get (laughs) off of it now that he's graduated. But what was remarkable, and this is the bright spot that I kind of wanted to share with you and talk about for a minute or so, is um, hundreds and hundreds of kids showed up to his room that day. The parents all told their children and people brought by Starbucks and cupcakes and food and cards and they decorated his door. And the whole entire day, people stopped by this young man's room and wished him a happy birthday. I I think there is something also about kind of the importance of being vulnerable and sharing that you feel that way because it's like what we were saying earlier. It seems and it can appear like everyone else is having a great time and is not struggling to fit in and is finding their people right away. But they might not really feel that true sense of connection. And that feeling of loneliness is so everyone has felt it at some point in their life. And I think you know, I'm sure that there were some kids that came by his room who did it to just be nice. I'm sure that there were a lot of kids who maybe went with their whole sorority, but still felt loneliness and felt maybe even heard in that moment um, or seen or something like that, where they just felt like, wait a minute, I'm not alone in these feelings. And being able to open up and say that and then realize like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Like that is, that's such a gift. Even if you don't become friends out of it, you know, just knowing you're not alone can Mm -hmm. be a lifeline. And if you feel like you're at the end of that rope, you know, that might just be the thing that kind of propels you up a little bit and buoys you. I think you're right. I think it was, I mean, it was such a poignant story for me to say, oh, wow, this is going on everywhere. And oh, wow. Because they all feel it, wow. they can kind of get yeah. together. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to log on and see if, if any friendships or anything, you know, if there's a follow-up to it. But yeah, I do think it's pretty universal. I just love talking to you so much. And I think um, I think people listening are really going to hear, especially all of the people that have followed you for so many years, um, this really rich, deep side to you that they don't always get to see. And so I'm grateful for how vulnerable and um, transparent you've been. And what I've heard you really say about friendship is, you know, to kind of summarize what I've listened to you say is really be true to who you are, that authenticity is a really attractive quality. And that's really what will help you develop friendships um, to develop your hobbies and interests and really know who you are, that that really attracts people to show up for your friends and to take risks and be vulnerable. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I've been ending every show kind of saying, 
what is one small piece of practical wisdom? And I know you've said, I'm not a friendship expert, but that's part of what I'm trying to do is just get real people to talk about everyday life here. But what's one piece of practical wisdom you can leave our listeners with for better connections? Um, I think remembering that other people might feel that sense of loneliness is important because it can be so easy to just be like, oh, that person has a ton of friends. I don't need to be their friend, even though it looks like we could be friends. And just to take that first step yourself, because if you think that you guys might have that friendship connection, there's a good chance that the other person feels it too, but just might have that same sense of nervousness that you do. Um, And I think just being the friend that you wish you had. And if you want to have friends Mm -hmm. that sit around and needlepoint maybe at a bar and drinking beer instead of, you know, being at two o'clock in the morning, maybe you go at like seven o'clock after work, like be that friend and put together those friend groups and be the one kind of in the vulnerable position because other people want that and crave it. That's true. And I think if you take that risk, if you put yourself out there, sometimes you'll get hurt, but more often than not, it'll be totally. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for talking. I'm so glad we did this. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Hopefully, you've heard something that will help you as you continue to navigate the connections in your everyday relationships. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, you can follow me at Dr. Kim Swales or check out my website, www.kimswales.com. I'd also love if you would click subscribe and leave a positive review or a five-star rating for the podcast, as well as share it with your friends and family. The material in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of medical or psychological counsel, please seek a licensed professional in your area. This episode was edited and produced by Sonia Kerrigan.